right, good morning, church. Turn in, the, in your Bibles to Ephesians, and we're going to be in chapter 4 today. And uh, one thing I want to mention uh, before, before we get into our text is, man, the incredible work that God is doing among our men on this campus. There's a, a men's study that has started on Wednesday morning early, like around 6.30 or so, and we have like quite a bit of men showing up for that. And they are beginning conversations about us moving to something bigger like a men's conference, uh, maybe even next February. Um, and I, so I just see something brewing there. And if you're a man and you're looking for kind of some men fellowship uh, and strengthening that comes from that and want to be a part of something that is happening with men, particularly Wednesday morning, go to that Bible study at 630 in the gym over there. Pastor Casey leads that. So go see him and talk to him. Um, but uh, I see something brewing there, and if you want to be a part of that, I encourage you and invite you to be uh, a part of that. I think it would be uh, really, really great. And I'm doing a No Shave November to highlight our men, all right? I know, I know it's not November, but I have to get a head start because I'm terrible at growing a beard. I'm not like you guys are awesome at it. Uh, so you're going to have to endure this, uh, but every time you think about why am I having to look at that, um, think I need to be a part of men's ministry, okay? So just think about that all through the month of November as we get there, all right? Okay, we're continuing in our series in Ephesians. And up to this point, I think hopefully you'll recognize three chapters, six-chapter book, three of the chapters. We're halfway through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, and not one command, not one to do, not one thing that he says you're supposed to go and do now or behave or or that sort of thing. So we can conclude that the Christian life is not about first the to-do list. Do this and don't do that. It's not about that. The first thing he does for three chapters and half the letter is to make sure that you know who you are, who God is, what he's done for you, and who you are in the grand scheme of things and the significance of the way that you see yourself in Christ. And if you see that, um, that'll be the most important thing. And, and then what leads from that will be living it out of your heart, what happens in your heart, into your life and into your decisions. But the way you view yourself is the most important thing about you. And that's the first thing that Paul deals with in three chapters, not one command. But now we're in chapter 4. And um, you're going to see Paul leaning in, an, in a direction that says, because of this, because of who God is, because of what he's done for you, because of who you are in him, we're going to move out and we're going to say, this is how we're to live life. And that's what begins in chapter 4. So I'm going to read verse 1 down to verse 16. And so let's, um, as the body of Christ today, the assembly of the saints, sit and listen to the word of God and meditate as I read. Verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, 
When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? Let's ask the Lord to unpack this for us. Lord, we just uh, commit this time to you. And Lord, we just pray um, over this text and even our own hearts. And we pray that you would just shine light on it, that you would shine light into our hearts. Lord, that you would show us um, who we are and where we are. And, and Lord, the role that we have in the faith. And Lord, move us to engage and to grow and to grow into you, our head. To become like you, Lord Jesus, is our life's goal. So teach us what that looks like. And Lord Jesus, in that process, would you be glorified in your church. And Lord, may Bannockburn be a mature church, strong, rooted, not tossed to and fro by the winds of the things that happen in our world, but rooted in Christ and shining for Christ in every generation, all for the glory of Jesus for the salvation of sinners, for the strengthening of the saints, all for you. Lord, take us there. Continue to take us there. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. 20 years ago, uh, Disney came out with a movie um, called Princess Diaries. How many of you have seen Princess Diaries? Hey, all right, come on. Yeah, see, I loved watching the kiddos. You're in the room today. I figured I'd throw you a little bone there, right? Uh, if you hadn't seen that, tell mom and dad to let you see it. It's awesome. It's a great, a really great movie. I actually, this is actually one of those movies you watch with your kids that I actually enjoyed. I actually laughed and I thought it was good and thought it was funny. So I really loved watching it. And it's basically a story of this teenage girl who's in California. And in her life, she's basically struggling with the normal things a teenager teenage girl, a young teenage girl in California would kind of struggle with, Um, but she gets confronted with this reality, and it's a secret that her mom has held for her from her her whole life. Uh, She comes to discover that her mother, she doesn't know who her father is, but all of a sudden her mother has been hiding the fact that she had uh, a fling with a prince 
and he's the prince of Genovia, and she became pregnant with him. She began to do a life, she wanted her child to be raised in a normal life in the state of California and not know about all of that and be detached from it. But all of a sudden it broke into her life and she discovers that I am the royal heir, uh, princess of Genovia. And her grandmother uh, comes and uh, confronts her with this reality. And even in the moment, it's a big, I laugh very hard at the moment when she's told that she is the royal heir of the throne, princess of Genovia. And she goes, shut up. And then they have to translate to the queen what shut up means in Californian and all that stuff. And, and uh, I just thought that's hilarious. So anyway, but that's just me. But it kind of rocks her world, right? She takes like days to really process like, what? No, not me. I'm not queen. I'm not this. And she, she's like shaken deeply by it. But she comes to the place where she accepts it. She accepts her identity, who she is. Um, she thought she knew who she was. But now she comes to discover in a moment, and it's a cataclysmic uh, collision kind of moment, that she's royalty and she's an heir. And she begins to, to, to process that. Um, but she accepts it and she receives her identity and the rest of the movie is basically this teenage girl in California beginning to become who she is. She discovers who she is and she begins to um, grow into who she is. She has to become not just an average teenager from California, she's got to become royalty and she enters the process of growing into who she is. She was told who she is in a moment, but then she has the process of growing into who she is over time. And that involved, like, eating properly, right? Uh, it, it, it involved um, thing, things like treating people properly, waving properly, uh, presenting yourself properly, being disciplined in certain things that she wasn't really disciplining herself in before because her life is more than just about her and her teenage life. Now her life is about more and there's other people relying on her and she has a calling in her life and, and she wants to fulfill that. So it requires her to discipline herself in certain ways that she wouldn't consider otherwise. She is coming into who she is. And it's a really great picture of the Christian life. You become a Christian in a moment and you realize certain things about you in a moment uh, and, and it, it creates, creates, and oftentimes it creates a sort of a cataclysmic collision in your heart that you are beginning to really wrestle with. All right, is all of this eternal language, Paul, true in chapter 1, 2, and 3? I mean, isn't that just so big and distant? And uh, Is that really true of me? I mean, like, really, eternity past, eternity future, you have me, you, you atone for my sins, and now you're approaching me with my identity and my life. You made me, you put me here in Austin in 2021, and, and, and you have all this purpose for my life, and you're the sovereign God, and you, all of these things, right, really? I mean, even more than just learning you're a prince, it should, it should cause a disruption to you, even more than that, when you think about the, the, the God and you. Uh, and, and, and that's the Christian life. You come into this reality of being told who you are and you're processing that, but you come and you receive it. Now you enter a process. You can call it sanctification, growing in Christ, becoming like Christ. Now you begin a process of becoming who you are because you ain't who you are, right? You're probably more like who you were than who you are, and now you have to become more like you are. And that's a process. 
And Paul says in verse 1 here, live a life worthy of your calling. Live a life worthy of who you are. You are not small, insignificant material that's just been thrown together. You're mine. And I have a purpose for your life. And I had you in all eternity, and I'll have you in all the future. And I have a purpose for your life. Become who you are. Walk with me, says the Lord. By my spirit, become who I intend you to be. This is what Paul's really talking about. Live a life now worthy of your calling. Now let who you are make its way into how you eat. Make its way into how you treat people. Make its way into how you work. Make its way into how you drive on Mopac at five. Yeah. We come to to this place in life where we discover who we are and it creates the, the paradigm shift inside and then we begin to try to live who we are and it shapes every detail of our life. And in chapter four, Paul is teaching us how we become who we are. So you might not know fully, I know who I was and I know who I am. And I know that I'm on the goal and the path to become like Christ and I'm becoming who I am and that's like Christ. But how? Where do I go? What do I do? Right? Where's the, where's the workout? Where's the, what's the, what, how do I go about the processes of that? And that's what he's dealing with here in chapter 4. There's a who we were, a who we are, and a process now of becoming who we are. And I want to share three principles with you that I believe would help you with chapter 4 of unpacking becoming who you are. And it's three things I want to highlight. Find your place, set your pace, and because it rhymes and sounds good, finish your race. Okay? Find your place, set your pace, finish your race. And I know I've got to explain to you what this means. So let's start there. Find your place. And you know, I don't rhyme that much, much, very often, but hopefully you can remember this for at least two days. Right? Um, I, I just wanted to, to be, to, it, it started lining up and I just had to finish it there, okay? So find your place. What are we talking about when we say find your place here? Well, you need to, to um, get an image that Paul wants you to get. And it's very important. If you get the image, then I can spare you a whole lot of words and we can go to lunch. So you're going to get the image, right? Okay. You got to get this image and, and, and you'll get a whole lot with the image, like a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you get this picture, there's a whole lot I don't have to say. So follow with me here. The picture that Paul paints is in verse 15 particularly, it comes to a head there. But he goes from, he does something grammatically that's uh, not really a good, a good thing. It's actually uh, a weird thing. Uh, and he goes from the we to the the. In other words, he goes from the plural, uh, the plural uh, collective of lots of parts into the one together, one thing. And that process, he says, is the, the collective, uh, the collective individual all coming to become one thing. 
all becoming one thing, okay? And it's the thing that we're becoming, the thing that all the individual parts are becoming is, is a body of a man, okay? And that man is Jesus. Do you all get the image? So think about all these little individual parts floating around. I mean, I don't know. I, tried to, I thought about, can I create this like on a digital platform or something? No, I can't. I got to do it verbally. So y'all walk with me. All these individual parts all kind of floating around. But then they begin to come together through a process. And they come together and they come together. And you, forget, you see what begins to happen is the forming of a body. And this body comes together and then you realize it's Jesus. Okay? Paul says that, that is spiritual growth. That is how you grow spiritually in in Ephesians chapter 4. All the parts use the individual coming together with all the other individuals and all of us doing certain things together over time and over time and over time and processes and interactions and engagements and over time, lots of time, there's something that begins to be formed and it's called, and, and, it, and it keeps coming together. And he says, it's the body of Christ. So the many coming to the one and it's Jesus. Critical concept here of spiritual growth. This is Christianity. This is spiritual growth, the pathway to spiritual growth. This is the pathway for maturity in Christ. And there's no other path. There's not another plan. There's not even another context spoken of when it comes to spiritual maturity in the Bible, in the New Testament particularly. This is the picture of spiritual maturity. And this is how it works. So critical concept that you've got to get. If you understand this. And Paul says this in verse 7, if you look over there, underline it if you'd like. In verse 7, he says this, that, that each is given grace as Christ apportioned it. All right, so get the image here. Jesus comes, and he comes down with a bucket of grace, and he gives one little thing to you, and he gives one to you. And we're going to be here all morning, right? But... And then to you, and then he makes his way all the way through the room, and he gives everybody a little piece, right? And let's just say, uh, let's just do this. It's a huge piece of art, and Jesus takes the art piece and he rips off a little piece and gives it to you, and a piece and gives it to you. And by the time he's done, he has given the piece of art to every person in the room. And then uh, you go to a process of putting that art back together. He says that Christ has apportioned grace to every part. Now, here's the, here's the point you need to get. He didn't give any one person the whole piece. He gave each individual a piece of the whole. So that when each individual takes their piece and they add it to the whole, it becomes whole. This is what Paul's talking about when he's talking about spiritual maturity. In other words, we need each other to get to know God. The way I get to know God is through you taking the grace he gave you and contributing it to me. And I'm taking the grace that he's been given to me and I'm contributing it to you. 
and you to others, and them to you, and them to me, and them, you see this? And with all that chemical reaction of grace being shared, a process is happening. A process is happening, and that process is called, we're a little bit more like Christ, together. And then as we continue to do that, we're a little bit more like Christ, together. And then we as a body collectively are maturing into the body of Christ. Okay? All right. So that's the image that you need to get, but you can't go to lunch. Let me keep adding some things here. Yet. We're almost there. Uh, Think of it this way. My hand. My hand. My left hand. Okay? It has grown with me throughout my entire life. Thank God. I still have it. It didn't decide to leave. Right? It's here. And uh, when I was 12, it looked very different. And it had less calluses and had less wrinkles and, and all that kind of stuff. But my hand also, it's not just staying alive and maturing because it's attached to my body. My hand has also fed my mouth. Thank God. Right? So this hand has been useful in bandaging wounds on my body and manicuring and cleaning and all kinds of things. Getting stuff out of my eye and my teeth and my whatever. My hand. Man, my hand does all kinds of stuff and I really need my hand. But my hand is also benefiting from my body and maturing with my body. Does that make sense? Y'all going with me here? Think of spiritual growth that way as an individual. The body is the body of Christ, the collective whole of the saints gathered together. A bunch of individuals relying on each other, giving and taking and receiving and benefiting from the body as a whole. We are all receiving sustenance from the whole and we're giving and providing for the sustenance of the whole. We have benefits we receive and benefits we provide. And the body grows itself in this regard. This is the concept of spiritual growth in the New Testament. This is the way we become who we are. No other context of this, of other ways in the Bible. And and the point is, is that every believer is a part of a local church. And they are given spiritual rations that are meant to provide something to the whole as they contribute it. And they receive benefit from the whole as they do. Think of a church. You want to be a powerhouse for the gospel? Then we need no consumers. We're all contributors to the body. And when the body is healthy... It has all its parts coming into the whole. And the more powerful we are is going to be because the more of all the parts are in the whole. Does that make sense? This is the imagery Paul wants to give when it comes to spiritual maturity. Each part is most whole and nourished as it is attached to the whole. But the whole is more whole and nourished when all the parts are plugged in and a part of the whole. There is such a beautiful family interconnectedness with the family of God that is spiritual and supernatural, and it is the power source of the way God works in the world. So what is the first part of spiritual growth? First part, find your place in the body. Because your place is very important. 
your place is needed. For all of us to be benefited, all of us are needed. And yet for all of us to receive benefits, all of us need to be a part. Because we all provide, we all receive the spiritual nourishment from one another and the grace each other is given. This is the idea. It's the concept of spiritual growth. So find your place. This is Christianity. Secondly, set your pace. Set your pace. Set your pace in the sense that there are rhythms in a body. Uh, in a physical body, blood flow and genetic processes and breakdown of food and putting it into energy and energy being burned by muscles. and all. Think of all those rhythms, right? Rhythms of a body that keep it alive and keep it functioning and keep it healthy. Um, well, there's rhythms of gathering. There's rhythms of interacting um, with each other. There are rhythms of behaviors being exposed and dealt with. There are rhythms of apologizing and forgiveness. There are rhythms of learning and growing in knowledge as we share with one another the truth of the scriptures. Uh, rhythms of worship and praise together. Rhythms of serving one another, coming alongside of certain parts of the body that are especially hurting and burdened, and we want to come along and give them strength and hold them up. And then the others are to celebrate, and we want to come along and celebrate with them. And then the body is ebbing and flowing and, and working into each other's lives and serving one another, rejoicing together, grieving together, binding up, strengthening. And in those rhythms, we will give and we'll receive. We'll give and we'll receive. All those rhythms are together. Think about this. How do you learn and grow in humility? You can't grow in humility apart from community. How do you even know you're proud? You need a sibling to come along and go, you ain't that great. Y'all got brothers and sisters? Nobody will humble you as effectively and quickly as a brother or a sister, right? How do you grow in humility? How do you learn gentleness? As Paul said, be gentle. Be gentle, you type A personalities to take charge of a room. It's okay. God has a gift and he wants you to have it and he wants you to exercise it in the body. But if you're too strong and you don't have the gentleness of Christ, you'll rip part of the body, right? And you'll do damage to people in relationships and you'll be pushy and demanding and dominant and you'll hurt people. And so where do you learn how to be gentle? In the body. <laughs> you gentle, you're gentle as you are in community and you're engaging with people and you're learning and you're growing in this kind of thing. How do we learn patience with one another? How do you learn patience with one another? Here's how. You get irritated beyond what you can handle to your eyeballs with that personality that you've got to live with now because he's your brother in Christ, right? And you don't leave. And you don't kick him out. You're patient with him. That's how you learn patience. That's how you learn perseverance. That's where you get patience. That's how you grow in patience. So you grow in ways that are engaging in the body. You don't give up too quick. Um, and then he says sharing the truth in love. There's another thing that happens when you're sharing the grace you have with everyone else and we're sharing the truth in love. We speak the truth in love, declaring truths of Christ to each other 
continuously and all millions of conversations that are happening, we're doing this. It's not just the sermon, okay? It's all, we're all sharing with one another in life groups and getting each other's lives and taking the word of God and pulling it into our lives together. All of that mutual sharing, sharing the truth in love. And let me say this real quick. You, you have to hold the tension between truth and love to a balance. Because if you don't, you get into an error. Truth without love leads to legalism. We don't want to be that. That's dangerous. Love without truth leads to license. Firmly planted feet in midair, standing on nothing. Love and truth go together. They have to. If it's going to be healthy. Truth and love is the rhythm we seek together. They always go together and they always produce health. But it also creates a tension that you're not to just eliminate. You're to keep it there. Then he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Listen to this. Every local church. Every local church. Every once in a while. There is going to come times, I call them waves, seasons, call it whatever you want, of tensions that are going to come upon the church and it's going to get tense and it's going to get hard. Um, If you think of us all standing in a big circle holding hands right now, okay, think of it this way. That times and times come on the church when everybody gets pulled real thin and you're like hanging on by fingers and, and oh, you don't want to let go, but you got to hold on. You got to keep the fingers locked, right? And it's like, oh, oh my muscles are tired. And it's, this is not a great season. The season feels the tension, right? Every local church has different types and, and seasons where tensions come in on, on the church. Sometimes the tensions come from outside the church, like covid Right? Um, It can also come from within the church. Uh, Theological debates, disagreements, differences of opinion on certain texts or or whatever that might be. And there's tension there. And the temptation in those moments is to ease the tension by saying, well, I'm going to go somewhere else. They don't don't have my eschatological view. I'm going to go somewhere where they got my view. Is that how we're to handle these things? Maybe let's give it time. Let's hold it. Hold that tension. It's not that. Um, Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Reacting quickly to eliminate the tension because the tension has been brought in to the church. And maybe reacting in a way that's not healthy. We fight each other. We turn on each other as the enemy. They're corrupting the church. And then that side says they're corrupting the church. And we need to purify the church, right? We need somebody to, something needs to give, right? Something needs to give. Maybe it doesn't need to give. Maybe it doesn't. Make every effort. Make every effort. Make every effort. Listen. What does he mean by make every effort? It means diligent, focused, determined. It's like a commitment here. And then he says, to keep. That's the word for guard, protect, keep. The unity of the spirit, the togetherness in the gospel as the family of God. In other words, those things that we all agree on, we stay focused on, the gospel, and the bond of peace. Meaning, we are more committed to 
peace in the body and the things we agree on than we are of being free of this tension right now. Let the tension be there. Let's be patient with one another. So what does it mean? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why would he even say that if there weren't tensions brought in that threaten that? We're going to have that. You're going to have that with an individual that hurts your feelings in the body. This means that it's an encouraging sign. Christians do discourage one another. They say things they shouldn't say. Awkward stuff is said in the church to other Christians. People think they're helping and they just destroyed you. That happens all the time. Weird stuff said just in an attempt to, they don't know, they're trying to help and they can't help. Stuff happens all the time in community. All the time. That's why you have Matthew 18 and, other, and to process it really well. But here's the thing. Here's what you need to see. As we commit to the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, we fight for unity. Here's what happens. We all grow stronger together. The church that decides we're going to turn on each other has just just destroyed the maturing process that's involved. You know what happens in your body when the, when the body, a part of the body decides that there's another part of the body that's the enemy? It's uh, some kind of immune, someone say it out loud, I can't remember. Autoimmune. And autoimmune is, I hear it's not pleasant. The whole body starts getting in, diseased. And unhealthy because the body has decided there's other parts of the body that are the enemy. Instead of just saying, no, there's something going on here, but we're going to hold the line. We're going to hold a focus. We're going to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Lastly, are you all getting the picture with me? All the parts coming into the whole. We all grow together as we all see, but we also have to focus on certain things, and that's fighting for unity, fighting for the peace, fighting for the truth in love, all those things. We lean in all the time on that, and we as a body do that. We're growing into the one body, Jesus Christ. Okay, so all that there. Then lastly, finish your race. Finish your race. You ever run a marathon? Or maybe a 5K? All right, a mile. Okay, a mile. To the mailbox. Now I got everybody, all right, good, good. It, it, it's, it's easy to start, right? It's easy to start. Every one of them is easy. Everybody's laughing and playing and talking about the kids and just getting started and all of that. And then everybody gets real quiet. And the huffing and puffing starts. And there, there comes these seasons when you get the, the boost of endorphins that come in and that gets you along a certain distance. And then that goes away. Kind of. And then you're just stuck with this season of just keep the feet moving. I'm dying. My hips feel like they're out of socket. My knees are destroyed. And I just need to keep my feet moving. Right? Finish. I got to finish. Those are the times when you got to hear, I got to finish this thing. Right? Uh, that's what we're talking about. You, you, when you're in the church, there's, there's seasons when you just got to stay at it. You, you got to just endure. You got to persevere. You got to be patient. You got to hold on. Even though you're hanging on by a pinky, you just hang on. Because times of refreshing are coming from the Lord. 
And you know it's coming. This is a tense time and tensions are in the church. And man, it's just taking its toll on the body of Christ. And, and there's pressure and there's anxiety and there's tension. And everybody feels like they're just, you know, sucking on fumes trying to just keep going. And it's every muscle in my body to get up and go to church again on a Sunday. And man, I just wish I had one day to sleep in, right? One day to be with family before I jump back into the grind on Monday. I'm just hanging on by a thread. Man, how do I keep going? Keep going. You finish. You finish. Because you're becoming who you are. In that, you keep fighting for the right things. You keep leaning in and not bailing out. You keep being patient and gentle and humble and not giving up and not giving in. And stay in the course and focused on Christ and receiving from his grace. But you keep, you keep going. And guess what's happening to you as you do? And you probably don't even know it. There's things getting burned off of your soul that are unhealthy to you. Selfishness, pride, arrogance, immaturity, and things are being collected in your heart slowly but surely you may not even recognize it but it's happening so you have to focus on staying 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 you don't focus on is it happening stay with the spirit stay in the unity of the bond of peace fight for it fight for it fight for it and as you do you are becoming individually a part of the whole and we're all maturing into the body of Christ but it takes perseverance you got to finish your race I don't know you about you but the last 18 months, holding on by a thread, right? I mean, there's been moments where it feels every muscle in my body to keep going on some things, right? Have you felt that in life? Have you felt that? Have you felt anxiety go up? Tensions go up? Relationships strained all the way down to a thread because of political tensions or COVID or masks or distance or science or whatever. Whatever it is. You just feel like it's just being, uh, right? And it's happened in the body too. There's not a pastor I know that says, no, we haven't been stretched to the thinness of who we are in the last 18 months. We're dealing with stuff that I can't win. No matter what decision I make, I will not win. I will alienate myself from a whole section of my body. And that grieves me to my soul because they force me to make a decision. And then I go make a decision. And then half of them go, well, we're going somewhere else. And no matter, you can make a decision on this side. They go somewhere else. You see this? You see this? Over, over the last two years, I know without a shadow of a doubt it has been a growth season for the church. John 15, Jesus said that the Father is the vine dresser. says the church, the kingdom is the vine. And that the Father is the vine dresser. Protects the vine. But you know what else he does? He comes with those shears and he hacks and he hacks and he hacks. And the vine might sit there and go, what are you doing? That hurts. And the father just, what is going on? 
uh, pruning seasons are painful. Jesus said that the Father prunes the branches that are making fruit. That's actually that they're showing spiritual life in the body, and they're actually showing fruit in the body, and that things are good or actually are good or happening, and Jesus comes along to that. The Father comes along to that and prunes it. Pruning is cutting off all those leaves on a vine, and it has a purpose, but it's cutting back everything on the vine, all the green stuff, all the size of it. And why does he cut them back? To get the leaves out of the way. Here's why. Much fruit, Jesus says. I want more productivity out of this particular vine, and so I'm pruning it back so that it can have more grapes and not leaves. i got to get the sun to the whole of it and increase the productivity of this vine. And the Father is going to prove it and prune it. And he removes everything that isn't producing much fruit and he gets rid of some of the dead branches and all that sort of thing. This is the analogy that Jesus is talking about. Pruning seasons are hard. And if you don't understand the pruning nature of God, you might get into times like that that require holding on and you give up because you don't understand what's happening. The tensions of the last year or two have taken their toll on all churches, all churches, all over the world. If the last 18 months is not a pruning season for the church, then I don't know what in the world one would look like. It has been a pruning season for all churches, the big C church, all across the world. And Bannockburn, just assessment across the board. I want to look you in the eye, and I want to say the last 18 months have been hard. Yes, I believe it's a strong pruning season, but you have held strong and unified in the Lord in a time where you could have easily turned on your brother and sister. You have stayed unified. You have stayed rooted in the gospel and said we're going to focus on the things we agree on and not get wrapped around the propeller with each other on the things we can disagree on. We have stayed the course. And you know what? It's been a pruning season We've seen some effects of that, but you know what? Why does he prune? Great season coming. We are going to receive the benefits. Pruning comes, but grapes come after pruning. And I believe we're kind of done with the pruning and on to the fruit. He prunes it so that it bears more fruit. Much more fruit, Jesus says. A fruit season is coming. Times of refreshing from the Lord are coming upon the church. What needed to happen? Bannockburn, you were faithful. You stayed faithful. You stayed unified. It delights my heart to tell you that this morning as your pastor. And I'm proud of this church. And I think we grew a whole lot together in Christ. And I think there's a flourishing season coming Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good when it's very easy to become weary and quit, right? Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Find your place. Set your pace. Finish your race. Let's all do that together 
and I'm telling you, we'll be a powerhouse for the gospel in South Austin, Dripping Springs, and Butakal. We will be blown away at what God has done 50 years from now when you and I are long gone off this planet. He can use us in a powerful way, and I believe he's going to. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your word, and uh, Lord, I just uh, thank you for this text. Uh, thank you for the imagery of the many becoming the one. As we focus on unity, patience, gentleness, the gospel, the gospel mission, not giving up on each other, not cutting ties quickly and running off and quitting when the harvest is just around the corner. Lord, thank you for this church and the growth we've experienced internally with one another toward Christ. And Lord, we just uh, we pray that as we lean into you, that you would unify us in, in ways that, that would blow our mind and use us for your glory. Lord, it's our heart's longing that we would see many in South Austin come to know Jesus, be forgiven of their sins, become the saints of God, live for purpose in the world, be a part of a glorious church that radically changes a community, the whole landscape of a community with the gospel. That's what we want more than anything. And Lord, as our lives are a part of that, we receive all the nourishment and the benefits of it. The power, the protection, the strength is all there. We're thankful for it. Speak to our hearts, Lord, and move us where you want us to go. Let us all have the heart of Christ who loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. And may we be like Christ. Take us where you want us to go. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen.